Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. This is Nashville. I'm Nina Cardona, sitting in for your host, Khalil Ekelona. For people who are or will become pregnant, maintaining good health is a priority. They need routine medical care, support, and resources to ensure their health and the health of their child. But what if the pregnant person is living with substance use disorder? What type of medical care is available to them? What resources are available? And who is qualified to make sure they and their baby are off to a good start? Later this hour, we'll learn about a program at Vanderbilt University Medical Center that has been providing that kind of specialized care for more than a decade. But first, it's Election Day. Polls are open for the midterm election, and as folks cast their ballots today, the WPLN newsroom has reporters out across town interviewing voters as they head to the polls. WPLN Metro reporter Ambriel Crutchfield has been out all morning, and she joins us now. Hey, Ambriel. Hello, hello. So where'd you go this morning? Yes, so I went to West End Middle School, um, and then I also went to UAW 737, which is in the nations. What was the turnout like? So they were very different at both places. Um, when I arrived at West End, it was a little bit around 9 a.m. or so. Um, so they had already had like a busy turnout during the first hour of voting. Um, when it comes to UAW, I was very surprised the line was like to the door. So when I walked in, I would have thought it was like a club scene because it was a little <laughs> a little spiral going on. Um, and they actually had an even higher turnout before that early in the morning to where it was outside the building. So just kind of varying uh, depending on location and I guess the population that's around and if they're at work or not. What did you hear from voters? Yeah, so I heard a mix of things. Um, when I was at West End, I heard... Well, some people were dodging me, but I heard from some voters that were voting Democrat, uh, they wouldn't or couldn't really elaborate on like why they wanted those specific choices. Um, it, some because they are consistent Democratic voters, that kind of thing. Uh, at UAW, I heard from a mix of people. Um, some were voting and motivated by the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Um, one person I spoke to, she is a supporter of Governor Bill Lee. Uh, she mentioned that she felt like she, she kind of mentioned it seemed more like his talking points. So she felt like he was looking out for everyone. Uh, she felt like he had delivered on promises and she was very much concerned about uh, how he treats or looks after children. But when I asked her about, oh, uh, are you referring to the transgender bills or critical race theory? She wouldn't elaborate much more than that. So, uh, but we, we also did hear from Leah Hodgkiss. She came out to vote. She's one of the people that voted um, because of the overturning of Roe versus Wade. And she explains like the conversation she had with her brother to give him her perspective. As a man, I feel that he can have his opinions on specifically the women's reproductive rights conversation, but ultimately it doesn't affect him directly because he's not the one either being forced to term, forced to carry the baby, forced to raise the child. He can bow out. And um, funny enough, her brother had actually walked out like while we were in the middle of talking and he just like kind of smiled like what's up to her. Um, so it's interesting. She just mentioned how important it was for them to have those back and forth conversations and for him to be like, oh, I not only hear the arguments and see the post kind of thing, but I'm identifying this with my sister. So I think that changed his mind, too. 
Yeah. Now, we have been hearing a lot about ballot issues in early voting, particularly here in Nashville. Did you meet anybody who ran into that today? So I did not meet anyone that ran into that. I did uh, run into people that had issues or not issues, but they had seen the news. And so they did their proper research. Um, I'm thinking specifically of Landon Funk. She had some advice for how folks can prepare uh, if they still plan to vote later today. But you can check Instagram or Google or any of the social media platforms. Um, I'm not 100% sure about Twitter, but um, they all have, like, right as soon as you log in, voting information for where you're supposed to vote and where you're supposed to be. And so double check that before you come out. Um, bring a book with you. Uh, you can't use your phones when you're in line, so you don't want to be standing for a long time and not be bored. And um, just a point that I want to make out. Although I didn't hear anyone that had problems with their ballots, there were, um, like at the Bellevue Library, there are other reporters that are noting that um, there was an estimated 60% of voters redirected. Um, and then at the Southeast Library, there was 20%. So although I didn't see that at the locations I went to, there are other reporters spotting that out. And that is probably a good reminder for people that if you didn't vote earlier this year, you may have a different voting location than the last time you voted because Voting lines were redrawn. The precincts were redrawn uh, since the last election cycle. Now, I understand you also talked with a poll worker at the UAW in the Nations, Bernadette Minyard. Let's let's listen. This is fun to me. Yeah. Why is it so fun? Uh, because I'm enthusiastic. I'm, I'm very enthused about the turnout. Uh, this is normally a usually a slow election day location. So to have this parking lot full with cars is just amazing and awesome to me. But I also love working for the election commission. So um, in spite of its challenges and the voters and their challenges and stuff, I love this. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. I don't want to give a present to the best personality for all officers, <laughs> but Bernadette definitely had it. Like when I walked in, she's like, there's this reporter here. If you want to talk to her, like this is what she's going to be doing. Um, and then I would just kind of hear her throughout the time, like y'all need to do some calisthenics. Like y'all are just sitting here in line waiting. <laughs> and then even when I'm like sitting out waiting, talking to people, she's like, hey, here's these little pamphlets that are uh, examples of a test of what the uh, ballot is going to be. Go ahead and do your research now so that you're not holding up the line. So she was very like and like making sure people are checked. But it seems like overall, even not just from her, but I was talking to a voter and he's like, everyone's mood is just down. Like I wanted mm -hmm. to high five people and only like four people high five me. So I was like, I don't know if it's the weather or the, the politics, but maybe people are not too jazzed today. <laughs> but it is nice to know you can ha have that sense of community when you do go and do your community service, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, also with us is WPLN editor Latanya Turner. Hi, Latanya. Hi. It is election day, but we have already gotten a glimpse of what's on voters' minds during early voting. What are the issues that we're hearing are bringing voters to the polls? Um, inflation, the economy, abortion, of course, um, education. Democrats are really focused and worried about the anti-democracy tilt um, of the Republican Party. And um, Republicans are laser focused on just about anything that's anti-President Biden. <laughs> so that's pretty much what uh, I think you're hearing, um, mm -hmm. Ambriel, and that's what we are finding. Now, there's only one statewide race this year. That is the governor's race. It is pitting incumbent Republican Billy against Democrat newcomer, Dr. Jason Martin. Does Martin have a chance? Um, 
Martin has really been trying to get his message um, heard. I mean, he's really been uh, on the stomp in a sort of traditional way. His his messages around legalizing marijuana, um, reproductive rights, abortion access. Um, he's been crisscrossing the state and speaking at candidate forums, uh, making appearances. Um Problem is, usually he's the only candidate at these forums because um, Governor Lee has stayed pretty quiet during this election cycle. He is the incumbent. Um, but even on uh, issues that are tapping into other Republican uh, events and protests like the anti-LGBTQ protests, gender-affirming care uh, pushback, Lee has kind of stayed quiet, other than the charter school um, debacle, I guess you could say, with Hillsdale. Um, so, you know, while Martin is pushing hard to get his message out, He's struggling because he can't have that direct one-to-one, face-to-face debate with Lee, which kind of reflects another characteristic of this election cycle, which are is the lack of public debates. I mean, it's, candidates just aren't debating. It's kind of interesting that you said that because one of the voters that I was talking to kind of mentioned, like, I'm coming out. I'm, it's probably not likely that Martin's going to win, but he wanted to just make sure that they were showing some kind of show of force for other candidates in the future that they feel like it's a viable running option. Yeah, yeah. Well, looking at some other races, all nine of Tennessee's congressional districts are on the ballot, including the three districts that were redrawn to divide up Nashville. Now, of those, only District 5 is considered competitive this cycle. Who's running there and, and what's been driving their campaigns? Um, well, District 5 is uh, the, the two ca- the top candidates are um, Andy Ogles, the Republican candidate, and um, he's former mayor of Murray County, and uh, State Senator Heidi Campbell. Campbell's the Democrat. She's done really well with um, fundraising. But as you said, and as Ambriel has talked about a little bit, that uh, district was redrawn. District 5 used to be all Davidson County. Uh, Davidson County was redrawn to be split into three districts. So a portion of uh, Davidson County uh, is District 5, as is a portion of Williamson and Wilson and Murray, Marshall and Lewis in their entirety make up uh, this Uh, district. And so while it has in the past been mostly Democrat, um, Congressman uh, Jim Cooper's uh, representation, it leans Republican now. So that's been a bit of a challenge for Senator Campbell, but she has been very tenacious. She's been very determined. She's been out there trying to get her message out, very visible um, in political advertisement. She describes her campaign as one of love versus fear, and she's pushing the common Democratic talking points like more funding for public schools and gun uh, control, reasonable gun control, and holding uh, corporations accountable and adding um, exceptions to tenants. Tennessee's strict uh, abortion law, exceptions for incest and race, uh, rape, I should say. Um, Ogles obviously does not support any exception to uh, the abortion law. And if he's elected, he says that he'll push for impeachment of President Joe Biden. Now, as we alluded to earlier, there have been some ballot mix-ups in a few counties, most notably here in Davidson County, and that's caused some really big problems. It led to a lawsuit filed by the ACLU, the League of Women Voters, and others. What's the latest on that? Well, 
I believe that that issue is going to linger with us long after today because the lawsuit is um, still being pursued. There's also been uh, some talk of investigations uh, by the state and some of the candidates, uh, particularly uh, Odessa Kelly and District 7, are talking about uh, taking further action. But today, people who voted uh, inaccurately, got the wrong ballot, do have the option of getting a provisional ballot. The 430 plus people um, that were known uh, or have been reported to have gotten that ballot mix up. So they can get a provisional ballot. And if there is any kind of contested race, those ballots will count. But Davidson County isn't the only county that had a problem with the ballots. There were problems in Shelby County, problems in Benton County with ballot mix-ups. And, and these all stem from congressional districts that were redrawn, counties that had redrawn con- congressional districts. And so people are going to continue, I think, to be concerned and frustrated about and disillusioned because of that. Right. And just a reminder, if you are here in Nashville, you can check on the Election Commission website to see if your name is one of those that might have an issue. So you can know that before you go to the polls today or know if you need to sort that out. Now, voters will have the chance to weigh in on four amendments to the state constitution, which we broke down on the show and at WPLN.org slash election. Amendment one has attracted the most attention. What's at stake there? Um, well, as you mentioned, there are four amendments. Um, they range uh, from union issues to um, a clause in the Constitution related to slavery that um, the amendment would strip out. But Amendment 1 has to do with adding the right to work to the state's Constitution. That's already a state law. Um, basically allows workers to opt out of unions. Republicans and big businesses wanted added to the Constitution to make it harder to repeal that law. Um, should there come a day when they are not the majority in the state legislature and don't have control. Unions oppose the amendment, um, and it's noteworthy that Democrats really don't have any intention of trying to repeal the law. So some people say it's not even necessary. And and Democrats, even if they wanted to repeal the, the state law, um, are not in the majority in the legislature. So they wouldn't have that power. So you'd say this is something that Republicans are trying to do as insurance, long-term insurance, yes. not any pressing kind of yes. change in the world. Because there has been movement in uh, other places and nationally to sort of uh, do away with right-to-work laws. The Secretary of State released some early voting numbers that shows a 36% drop in voter turnout for that 14-day window, that early voting, down from 2018. What does that tell us? Um, I think, um, well, Ambriel says people are jazzed (laughs) about voting, but it, it definitely is a change in how I think some people view Voting as you know, it used to be a civic duty, it used to be something to view with pride. In in many cases, it was seen as something uh, sacred. Like uh, in my case, because I had ancestors that could not vote, that were denied that privilege and even risked their lives uh, to vote. And I think that now there's not there's so much division and there's so much tribalism that people are are just tired. And election season is not a season anymore. You know, it's like it's for the everything, there's a season. Well, election season is every day of the year, it seems. Yeah, and the next election cycle begins tomorrow, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, for this last day of this election season, is there anything else you're keeping an eye on today? 
Um, I definitely think we uh, should keep an eye on the possibility of more confusion um, around balloting, ballot mix-ups, uh, the the errors and problems with redrawn uh, maps. Um, if people are 60 uh, percent, I think Ambriel said at one uh, uh, polling place, already being redirected, and how many of those people don't have a way to get to the right place, it's going. That is going to be the story that stays around after the all the votes are tallied. All right, that's WPLN Morning Editor Latanya Turner, Metro Reporter Ambriel Crutchfield was with us as well. Thanks to you both. Thank you. And you can join us tonight for live coverage of the midterm election from WPLN News starting at 7 o'clock. Also, if you haven't voted yet, do it. You can find everything you need to know about the ballot at WPLN.org election. We'll be back at the top of the noon hour tomorrow to talk about the results. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll learn how a program designed to help pregnant people living with substance use disorders works from someone who has received treatment herself. Tweet us your questions at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Cardona, and this is Nashville. Providing treatment for people who live with substance use disorders is not easy. Clinicians and coaches have to establish trust with the person seeking treatment. It's a delicate process that must be handled with care. When the person seeking treatment is pregnant, that adds layers of complexity that most people are probably not aware of. It's something the Biden administration has recently pledged to address by expanding the use of medication for these people through health programs across the country. One of those programs is based here at Vanderbilt University Medical Center. It's called Firefly, and it's been helping pregnant people with substance use disorder navigate their pregnancy, childbirth, and addiction since 2011. My next guest knows firsthand what it is like to get that help and treatment. I'd like to welcome Sarah to the show. Sarah, thanks for being here, and welcome to This is Nashville. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Now, note for listeners, we are using an alias for Sarah to protect her and her child's privacy. But Sarah, how are you feeling today? Um, I'm just glad that I can be here to make people aware and to give back to a program that um, gave me so much. Well, as much as you're comfortable with, can you tell us a little bit about your history with substance use disorder? Um, Yeah, so... um, I guess it started for me um, with the guy. (laughs) I just kind of fell into a bad crowd and uh, was pressured and had a lot of uh, trauma happen to me, domestic violence and um, other things. And it just kind of bled into that. (laughs) And I understand that you found out you were pregnant after a relapse. Is that right? Yes. I had several years clean and then um, had relapsed and... uh, yeah, that's when it happened. <laughs> How far along were you when you found out? Um, I was, um, I think, almost six months. How did you feel when you got the news? Um, I was pretty devastated because, you know, this is a big thing I judged other people for. So I just never thought it would happen to me. <laughs> what, what went through your mind in terms of what you need, what you should do, what, what you should do next? Um. I think I just, 
Like, it's so crazy to think now because I was just a different person then. Um, I was just terrified. I mean, I think I just went completely numb and was in major denial. Um, so, yeah. Did that experience change the way you thought about addiction and pregnancy at all? Uh, yes, definitely. Like before I was even, you know, before this relapse, um, being an addict, I still, you know, that thought that was just the worst thing like somebody could ever do, even as an addict. Like I just never thought, you know, what a horrible thing to to do to babies. And I didn't have much sympathy for it. And then I woke up and it happened to me and, um, yeah, it, it changed the outlook and it changed, um, how I think before I kind of felt, uh, you know, these babies need to be taken from their moms. And um, now I think they just need um, the best support possible so that baby and mom can stay together because um, my life would have been very different if somebody just said, you don't have a chance, your baby's gone because of what you've done than how my life is now. Did you go to seek medical care when you learned that you were pregnant? Um, I I did. And the place I... um, first ended up at, um, had offered very different support. They kind of just wrote me some Suboxone, told me to go home. And, uh, after 48 hours of not using, take one. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And what, what is that drug for those who aren't familiar with it? Um, it's something, um, I guess, you know, a lot better than opiates to help you hmm. get off of them. Okay. Um, it, that's, you know, safer and safer for your pregnancy. Um, that sounds like a lot to just leave on your plate then. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what, what went through your mind when they just gave you a prescription and sent you home? Um, I wanted so bad to do it and to get off this stuff that I just kept telling myself, I can do this, I can do this. And then I would try it and I would get so sick and I would worry about the baby, what's happening in there. Because, um, you know, I'm so sick. I don't know what's happening with the baby. Um, so uh, after... Um, a month, month, month and a half of basically just laying in bed, wanting to die, thinking I was a failure because I couldn't do this. Like, did I just not want it bad enough? Like, why, you know, why can't I just do it? Because <laughs> I would get so sick and I, you know, would obviously go end up using because I couldn't wait the full 48 hours. You can't take it um, with drugs in your system or it um, makes you even sicker. <laughs> so it sounds like you needed more help. Yes, yeah, I did. So when did you first learn about Firefly? Um, I first learned when um, I went to Vanderbilt Emergency Room um, because I, I just couldn't take it anymore. I just I didn't know what to do. So I just walked into an emergency room and I knew Vanderbilt had Vanderbilt Psych. And then um, when I went to their Vanderbilt Psych kind of, I guess, detox rehab program, they told me about it. And it was like God had just like sent me a gift. <laughs> So you found the courage to ask for help yourself. Yes, I did. Congratulations. That's yeah. a huge move. Mm-hmm. You did a good thing. Excuse me, I'm getting all emotional <laughs> for you here. Yeah. <laughs> so what was your first experience then when you got in touch with the folks at Firefly? Um, it it was just, it was amazing. Like I still remember my first appointment. Um, I kind of just always saw doctors would just like judge me um, and just look at me like, why? 
you know, why are you doing this? <laughs> um, and I walked in there and I mean, Dr. Young was just so nice. Like I never felt um, ashamed. Um, even though I felt a lot of shame myself, she never made me feel that way. And um, uh, the peer workers there were great too. And I remember one of them was like, this is exciting. This is a good thing. Like you're having a baby. Like th this is, you know, this is another, like you can do this. And before I just hadn't even, I had no excitement about it. I was just like completely emotionless. Um, and they just turned everything around for me. Like they gave me the hope that, hey, I can do this. I can stay sober and raise this baby and do a good job. Um, so it sounds like they definitely provided like that emotional boost that you really needed to to look at things in a in a in a different way and take a next step. What did they what kind of services did they provide for you? Um they provided like a, a peer worker um who you can pretty much talk to for anything. Um most most any time of the week um, and then they have groups which are amazing so it's like if you just have a random and they have groups pretty often like almost one every day and sometimes two every day so if you're just having a day where you're just struggling you can log on and talk talk to other moms um, who are going through the same thing um, and um, let's see um, and then they you know have a doctor who helps you medically with uh, answers all kinds of questions. I would ask like the same questions and nobody got frustrated. Um, and yeah, and I guess medicine and things like that. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville and I'm your host, Nina Cardona. We're talking this hour about navigating substance use disorder when you're pregnant. I'd like to bring in my next guest who is a recovery coach at Firefly, the Vanderbilt program our guest Sarah turned to for help when she was pregnant. Reagan Bergenheim, welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. How did you come to work at Firefly? Um, well, I was searching for jobs because I was unhappy at the one that I was at. And I saw the posting on Indeed and I I, I couldn't believe what I was reading. Um, and, you know, a substance abuse program within a program that was looking for people like me with my kind of experience, you know, and moms with, um, who have opioid use disorder. I couldn't believe my eyes. So I applied and followed up and I just, you know, prayed and prayed and prayed. I'd get the job and voila, I've been there for almost a little over a year now. And you say with experience like your what, what kind of experience is that? Um, well, I too am in recovery. Um, now I have a little over nine and a half years, um, but I also have a little bit. Of, thank you. I also have a little bit of uh, um, experience then working in substance abuse too, and and being a woman myself, of course, um, I, you know, that kind of population is near and dear to me. As a recovery coach, you have to establish trust with the people you work with. Describe that process to us. How do you connect to get your patient to work with you? It isn't always easy. Um, you know, with some patients like Sarah who were eager and willing, um, you know, they're, they're a little bit easier to reach. But, you know, for many, um, you know, they've, they've been judged. Um, they've been treated badly by the medical community or even the, you know, the recovery community because of, you know, the buprenorphine or any other kind of MAT that they might use. 
Um, so yeah, it's a little bit of a process, you know, you introduce yourself and most of them don't know what a recovery coach is or what you need to basically have as a credential uh, to become a recovery coach, which is pretty much just being in recovery. Um, but when they figure that out or when you tell them and they're like, oh, really? So you understand me. So I can really say anything to you and you're just not going to judge me for it. And like, yep, that's exactly what I'm here for. <laughs> um, so you just start trying to communicate with them more often, you know, um, every time they come in and uh, you check in on them, you know, we're lucky enough to have um, cell phones that Vanderbilt has provided for our program. So we text them you know, Hey, how you doing? Hey, what's, you know, what's going on? And we track their appointments and we keep track of their points so that they can earn things. Um, but, you know, just like with trust with anybody else, you got to earn it. What kind of misconceptions do you think people have about the work that you do? Well, you know, our clinic is an MAT clinic. You know, we use medication to help our patients. Um, there's a whole lot of stigma around that. And it's really, really sad that uh, that there is that even in the recovery community, you know, there's a lot of people who believe that they're not sober because they take medication. And we're there to tell them you absolutely are sober. We believe that you're sober. We're going to support you in this, even if um, they don't support you. And of course, like Sarah was saying too, um, you know, just the judgment and the stigma that comes with um, a pregnant person who has a substance use disorder. Oh, well, that's just a moral failing. Well, that's that's exactly the opposite. <laughs> so, yeah, they're, um, we're there to show them that we understand that they're human beings and treat them with dignity and respect. Sarah, I see you nodding here. How important was that type of care that you got from your recovery coach at Firefly? Um, yeah, that, that's what helped like just change everything around for me. I mean, I remember at the other place when I first had an ultrasound and the lady asked if I had found a family for my baby yet. And it just like hit me and I was like, what, what do you mean? And she said that, um, people who use don't get to keep their babies. And it was just, it, it makes you almost want to just keep using. <laughs> and then after that, did you... Did you call up your recovery coach and have a conversation about that? Was that? Um, at the time, I didn't have one. Oh, okay. So it was great being able to have one. So then when things like that happened, I was able to call up on them. And they can they always just do nothing but encourage you and tell you the opposite of what the world tells you. How did that feel to know that you had somebody who was just a phone call away? Um, it. I mean, it helped me. I mean, I'm, I'm here today because of all that. Like, if I had not found Vanderbilt and had a recovery coach, I, I don't know what would have happened. Reagan, how does it make you feel to hear Sarah say that and to, to help people in this way? I'm really trying hard not to cry right now. <laughs> uh, that's what that's what we're here for. That's why I love this job and this program so much. I just love this job. <laughs> um, and that's exactly why. It's, you know, can't save the whole world, but maybe one at a time. Sarah, you mentioned the treatment that you received from other medical clinics and, and how that made you feel, which is very different than what you described to me. Having lived through this, what do you want people to know about dealing with substance use disorder when they're pregnant? Yeah, um, I know it's hard to find the right help, and I'm so lucky to have found Firefly, but um, 
I guess the biggest thing is to not give up, even when everybody kind of tells you to give up and you don't deserve this, um, you know, to not give up. Like you, you can be a good mom. Like, um, you, you can, I mean, every day my daughter loves me so much and it's just crazy to think I could have not been there for her. She could have not had her mom. Um, so just don't give up and there's nothing wrong with you. You just need support and you need help and don't be afraid to ask for it and to keep advocating for yourself until you find exactly what you need. Well, before we let you go, I'd love to ask, how's your baby doing now? She's good. <laughs> I can see her through the glass. <laughs> She's a sweetheart out there. Thank you. <laughs> what are your hopes for others dealing with that same issue that you felt last dealt with last year when you found out you were pregnant? Um, I just hope that they can uh, find the help that I was. Uh, I'm so grateful to have gotten and um, be clean, so they can have a beautiful life with their baby. <laughs> Well, that was Sarah, a new mom in recovery who received treatment at Firefly during her pregnancy last year. And she was joined by Reagan Bergenheim, a recovery coach at Firefly. Sarah, Reagan, thank you both for coming onto the show and thank you for sharing your stories. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll meet more of the team behind Firefly and learn about the complexities of treating addiction for expecting parents. Are you struggling with addiction during your pregnancy? Tweet us your questions at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Nina Cardona, and this is Nashville. Overdose is a leading cause of death for pregnant people in the U.S. Mental health conditions like substance use disorder account for 23% of pregnancy-related death. Before the break, we heard from a new mother in recovery who navigated this firsthand during her pregnancy last year. She wasn't alone in her recovery. She was a patient at Firefly, a program based out of Vanderbilt University Medical Center that provides services to pregnant people who live with substance use disorder. And now I'd like to introduce the people who launched the program. Dr. Stephen Patrick is a neonatologist and the executive director of Firefly. And Dr. Jessica L. Young is the medical director of Firefly and an associate professor of the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at the Vanderbilt Medical Center. Dr. Patrick, Dr. Young, thank you both for joining us and welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you. Thank you. In the interest of transparency, I do want to mention here that Dr. Young is married to This is Nashville senior producer, Steve Harouche. But okay, let's talk about how this program started. Dr. Patrick, I understand that you and Dr. Young have been working together for a long time, right? Yeah, that's right. And really, it began with Dr. Young and her clinic um, that was stood up about a decade ago. And over time, the partnership and collaboration grew uh, to a more holistic program that is Firefly today. You study the opioid crisis and how it affects pregnant people and their infants. What did you learn about the situation here in Middle Tennessee? Well, what we know is that there's been a, a large increase um, in diagnoses of opioid use disorder in pregnancy. 
but getting treatment is far too hard. Uh, our team did some work trying to understand barriers to getting into treatment. And we found that pregnant people in particular have a harder time to get into treatment. And in part, that's because in, the, in, the, in many communities, you have obstetricians who are not comfortable taking care of addiction, and you have addiction medicine doctors who are not comfortable with pregnancy, and women are left in the middle. Um, and that's true in Middle Tennessee, too. We find uh, with some of our work in the state of Tennessee that it's not just the fact that there aren't providers available. Oftentimes, there aren't providers that are available to take any insurance at all. Instead, asking for cash for treatment, um, not being pregnant and not having the ability to pay cash for treatment is a big barrier in Tennessee for treatment. So to fill in that gap then, Dr. Young, how, how did Firefly come about to be to be this this other model? Yeah, so... We recognized that that there was a gap in how pregnant people are able to access care and not only just the access to medication and substance use disorder treatment, but access to all the other recovery supports, access to peer recovery specialists, access to other mental health services, access to pediatric consults and pediatric support once baby's born. Uh, support with breastfeeding. There are so many areas that uh, weren't being optimally supported. So what are the steps then that you take when you are providing services to clients? So we really look at the individual in their entirety, the, the their relationships, what their goals are, and really try to make a treatment plan that supports their goals and also addresses all the barriers they may be facing, whether that's housing, whether that's childcare, um, whether that's um, a working with um, helping them work with DCS to get other children back into their custody, whatever it is for that individual. Um, but then also making sure we're making a really uh, comprehensive treatment plan for their substance use disorder, um, including supporting medications and um, getting them into the level of treatment that's appropriate for them. Um, how does the social work component fit into that treatment plan? Like, How do you work with other health programs in the region, such as Rainbow at Meharry? Absolutely. Yeah. So our social workers are so important to helping us uh, navigate the other resources in the community, the residential programs, getting people connected with the programs that are out there that also take care of pregnant people, um, helping our patients find housing, helping our patients find food resources um, for food insecurity. Our social workers are so important in helping navigate and really help connecting people with those resources. And, and it comes to mind, I mean, those are all the kinds of stressors that you hear are the things that push people to want to use. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, earlier in the show, we heard from Sarah, who's a former patient at Firefly, and she talked a little bit about the stigma of being pregnant and living with a substance use disorder. I imagine that's a very big issue for the pregnant people who need help. How does stigma affect pregnant people dealing with addiction? Well, it's huge. A stigma keeps people isolated and it keeps people from accessing the care they need. And if 
people are feeling shame and guilt, it's really hard for them to come into an OB office and say, I have this problem and to be vulnerable in that way. So it's been really important for us to, while we're developing our program, to develop a program that's trauma-informed, that fights that stigma every day, that helps um, educate people not only within our institution, but in our community as a whole, that addiction is a chronic disease. Substance use disorder is a chronic disease. It's not a moral failing. We And we have tools, evidence-based tools that can help people be successful in their recovery. Let me just say too, one of the important things you heard from two really powerful voices with lived experience that's really been intentional in the way that we've designed the program is to listen to people, to elevate voices of lived experience, to have peer recovery specialists. The peer recovery specialist you heard being transformative to patients, but they've been transformative to us and our perspective. Uh, one of the things as the program evolved, we had several kind of disconnected pieces and we got some funding from the federal government, from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation to really design kind of what we thought might be an optimal model that really elevated voices of lived experience to try to understand, you know, outside of healthcare silos, how do we actually reach people where they are? And, and I think that's what we're seeing now. It's that sort of having kind of a consumer driven almost, like what are the actual issues? So often in healthcare, we think we have the best solution and approaching this with some humility uh, to understand, well, what do patients really need? What do people in recovery really need? Now you all work with patients all the way through the postpartum period. How long do you keep in communication with former patients of Firefly after they've given birth? So with our mom model um, through the Center for Medicaid and Medicare Innovation and that partnership with TenCare, we keep people in our program for at least a year postpartum. And then at that year mark postpartum, we're looking at everyone's individual um, where they are and their individual plan and getting them connected with uh, treatment programs closer to their homes because we see people from over 26 counties. So some people um, drive quite a distance or we utilize telemedicine. And so we help link people with other treatment programs that are going to help them continue to work toward their goals. Why is that approach important? Because substance use disorder is a chronic illness, just like diabetes, just like high blood pressure. And it doesn't end after pregnancy. It doesn't end after six months. There's no kind of on-off switch. And uh, so we need to make sure people are supported and have the resources that they need for a lifetime of recovery. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville. And I'm your host for today, Nina Cardona, sitting in for Khalil Ecolona. We're talking this hour about addiction recovery for pregnant people. My guests are Dr. Stephen Patrick and Dr. Jessica L. Young, the founders of Firefly, a medical clinic that provides treatment to pregnant people who live with substance use disorder. Dr. Patrick, you recently spent time as a policy advisor to the Biden administration for the opioid crisis. The president announced that he's expanding the use of medication to help treat pregnant people. What's Biden's plan? Well, it's a couple of fold. And, and what was released a couple of weeks ago is a starting plan. Um, it's, it's kind of what we can do now with existing resources. What we know is many of the things we just talked about, that getting access to treatment is far too hard, especially if you're pregnant. One thing, one thing that we've not highlighted, though, is the rising rate of foster care. Infants entering foster care uh, are entering foster care at a faster rate than any other population of children, most of them to substance use, due to substance use. We have an opportunity, just like you heard before, by connecting people to treatment early 
so that we can prevent foster placement. And so the, the plan that was released, our initial steps to connect people to treatment, to provide wraparound services to families, and to, uh, to work towards data modernization using data to, to help families. The fact that he's pledged this kind of support suggests that this is a pretty significant issue. Help us understand how prevalent is this among pregnant people here in our region, in Tennessee, in Middle Tennessee, in Nashville? Well, what we've seen over time is is a large increase. So what we know from the data, uh, again, there's about a fourfold increase overall in diagnosis of opioid use disorder. We know that pregnancy-related deaths, uh, pregnancy-associated deaths, overdose is the, is the leading cause of that in Tennessee. So it's common. I and mean, is it so common that compared to diabetes, it's a little bit less common than that, but the effects are so substantial overdose death, losing custody of your children. Um, and, and I think all of us have been touched in one way or the other in our families and our communities by addiction. Um, you know, I think you mentioned earlier in the show that we've now eclipsed 100,000 deaths in the U.S. due to overdose, um, a really substantial amount. Uh, we, we all know someone who's been affected. How many patients have you been able to treat over the years? Yeah, so um, at any given time, currently, we have about 170 patients in active in our program. And so um, going back, we've probably treated about 1,200 since starting in um, 2011. Um, but we continue to expand and um, really are looking for creative ways where we can impact more people and bring more people in, in for treatment. Now, what about the babies? What steps do you take to make sure that they're healthy and can be taken home? So, you know, I'm a neonatologist. I approach this from, you know, what is good for babies. And the truth is what's best for babies is to have the healthy, healthy moms. Mm -hmm. So making sure moms are in treatment and connected to the service, that's thing one. One of the things that we did early on was really change the way that we do care uh, in the in the hospital. So it used to be that babies, if they had if they were exposed to an opioid or had drug withdrawal, they would get separated from their mothers and put in an intensive care unit. We don't do that anymore. Um, so in collaboration at Vanderbilt a couple of years ago, uh, every baby, unless they have a need for the NICU, why, you know, whether they're sick or something like that, they stay with their moms throughout the duration of the hospital. What we've seen in just a couple of shifts in just treating moms like moms and babies like babies, we use less morphine to treat drug withdrawal in babies. Mm. We have higher rates of breastfeeding and babies go home earlier. And we know consistently from our data that uh, that moms who are in treatment in programs like Firefly are more likely to leave the hospital with their babies too. And what Firefly, is in this iteration, as we've been able to expand, is what can we do after babies leave the hospital, too? And so that's part of what uh, we're continuing to expand to support families as well as community pediatricians. Now, what about those cases where the baby does need some more care? What what kind of care is available then? Well, every bit, bit of care, right? So it's true that, like, even though we keep babies out of the NICU for issues of drug withdrawal, certainly babies are born preterm. They may have issues like breathing problems that are common for babies at birth, so they receive the care that they need. Uh, and I think part of this is, you know, the immediate care that they need, but also providing supports for families after they leave the hospital and supporting uh, both a you know, medical home for a pediatrician, so vaccines for, uh, for babies and all the other supports that families need is, is really what we're aiming to do. And most of our babies won't need medication for treatment for opioid, for um, neonatal abstinence syndrome or neonatal opioid withdrawal syndrome, but a small percentage do. And during that time, we really support keeping mom and baby together through that whole time, through that whole length of stay, while um, baby may be getting um, additional medications to help treat that those withdrawal symptoms. Now, it has been briefly touched on, but what types of custody issues arise? 
due to the pregnant person's addiction. We certainly heard that Sarah was very worried about that and, and had careless comments made to her about that during her pregnancy. What is it that, that these pregnant people then, once their baby is born, then, then face? Yeah, so the there can be uh, child protective services involvement depending on um, where they are in their recovery journey, how they've um, if they've had relapses in the third trimester, say. Um, but um, that does not necessarily mean that baby will not go home with them. That just may need may need, mean that extra services get provided to them, where they get um, additional home visitation, nurse uh, nurse visit, visiting services, uh, parenting classes, number of different resources um, besides the outcome that a lot of women fear, which is being removed from baby. And I was just going to comment really quickly that you know. Sometimes foster care placement is necessary. That said, oftentimes we are not doing the things to prevent it, to support families. That's part of what we're working to do, to create the tools and empower women to be able to, to do the things to keep custody of their children. That's It's really important. It's one of the key things that we try to do in Firefly. And then also for, ba- for, mo- for moms that do have that situation where their babies are um, safety placed with someone else, helping them do all the steps necessary to re for reunification. That's a really, also really important. Dr. Patrick, what would you like to see the city or the medical Mm. establishment do to help this issue? One is more focus and resources. We know the things to do. Uh, We know that medications for opioid use disorder prevent overdose death, and yet it's still far too hard to access. I hear a lot of conversation about supporting foster families. And while that's true, we cannot foster our way out of this. We can't fix this with more foster placements. We have to have a holistic approach that connects to treatment and provides resources to families. This is a fixable problem in Davidson County and the surrounding counties. We just have to have the will to be able to push forward and the attention, particularly for this pretty vulnerable population of pregnant women and infants. Dr. Young, you're the only clinic in the city that offers this type of treatment. How badly do we need other clinics to pop up that will start to help with this issue as well? Yeah, I think that we, the more that we can incorporate evidence-based substance use disorder treatment into routine care, whether that's primary care, um, OB care, I think that the more access we have to getting life-saving medications out into the community, because our overdose rates are far too high, not only for pregnant people, but for, um, for all of our community. Well, thank you both very much. That is Dr. Jessica L. Young, joined by Dr. Stephen Patrick. They are both the co-founders of Firefly, and we thank you both so much for being with us today. Thank you. We appreciate it. And we want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. Khalil Ekelona will be back with you tomorrow, and that's when we'll learn more about the Jewish community here in Nashville. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Magnolia McKay. Our lead di- digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. Shout out to our intern, Tori Hoover. The masterminds behind our theme music are Lorange and Namir Blade. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. 
This is Nashville. I'm Nina Cardona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. Thank you.